Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Justin Trudeau isn't talking about what's in the deal with Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs. We uh, respect their desire uh, to work on it internally first, uh, and because of that respect, uh, we will wait for them to do their work before we talk about the details of what's in it. How is the coronavirus affecting the world's economy? The virus and the measures that are being taken to contain it will surely weigh on economic activity, both here and abroad, for some time. And Jean Chrétien says there is no national unity crisis. I've been around for 40 years, and there's always problems to be resolved. And when we face them, we think that it's very difficult. We always find a solution. It's Wednesday, March the 4th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald, Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. The Prime Minister is not sharing details about what's in the deal that was struck with hereditary chiefs. Meanwhile, there's a new poll out today that shows a majority of Canadians are unhappy with how his government has handled the blockade crisis. So uh, at what point is Justin Trudeau going to share the details? And do you think this is hurting his popularity? Well, I don't know about sharing the details hurting his popularity, obviously, and I I don't think you're suggesting that, but that it's the overall handling or mishandling or lack of handling of of the blockade issue, that it went on and on so long, and um, that it seemed to be such a small group of protesters who were able to cause such massive disruption in the Canadian transportation network and in the economy. And uh, I'm not surprised people are angry and and feel the government uh, hasn't moved strongly enough or quickly enough. So I can't say I'm surprised to hear that. But, you know, the other thing that's kind of interesting in that poll, Mark, uh, this is the Leger Marketing poll, um, where 57% uh, say that they now, I think, understand the, the notion of Indigenous land claims and the need for, uh, you know, consultation and measures to really try to resolve some of these issues. So in that sense, you could almost say, uh, you know, that, that the Indigenous protests yielded the type of result that the protesters were looking for. Right, that, that people have learned about this issue and, and perhaps have more respect for the argument that was being made. Yeah, and, you know, I think people gradually came to the realization that, you know, you can't have apocalypse now, you know, gunships hovering over these things, firing rockets down at protesters, uh, or mass arrests behind tanks. I mean, I know there are people who have that. That's their solution to every problem. But this is not how things are done in Canada, and we've got a long record of peace in this country to prove it. So, you know, I, I don't know in the longer term, whether people look back at it and say, well, the feds acted within their jurisdiction and their powers and could only do things as quickly as, as they did. Um, I, I suspect history will see it that way, more likely than the, the anger uh, that we all associate with immediate events. There's also a Leger poll out this morning about the Conservative leadership race, and it suggests that Peter McKay is the front runner. He has uh, quite a big lead on the second-place candidate, Aaron O'Toole, but there's still a huge number of undecided voters, including Conservative supporters, people who are likely to vote Conservative in the next federal election. So uh, he's he's in the lead, McKay is, but uh, but he's nowhere near the number he needs in order to win. 
You know, I wonder sometimes whether he might be a bit more popular uh, with the general public than he is with the actual Conservative Party. And, you know, uh, Peter McKay has been around in conservative politics since he was a wee lad. And, uh, you know, the good thing about that is that you, you build alliances and friends and kinships and, and mutual uh, interests with people. But it also means that along the way, you tend to alienate people and, and burn bridges and, and, and uh, cause other problems for yourself. So, you know, there could be an issue around that. But the thing we guess we always have to remind ourselves when we're covering these things is that it's only Conservative Party members who are going to be casting ballots on this. And that's the only constituency that matters between now and June when the party actually finds its new leader. So I can't say as I'm really surprised by any of this. And uh, I do think uh, a lot of the Conservatives feel burned by the sheer experience and are are keeping their minds open and really want to make the right choice this time because their their ultimate goal is to beat the Liberals. All right, let's turn to the coronavirus and how it's affecting the world's economy and the Canadian economy. Stephen Polaz, the Bank of Canada governor, is going to make an announcement today. Yesterday, the U.S. Federal Bank lowered interest rates as a way of addressing some of the economic damage done by this virus outbreak. Do you think the Canadian uh, bank will do the same? Well, I think it will. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's an odd thing. The, you know, the, I mean, the America one yesterday, I think, was quite clearly motivated by President Trump just continuously pushing on the Fed to lower rates. And, you know, he's got all kinds of mixed motives in that, of course, Mark. I mean, uh, Trump was depending on a vibrant economy to get him reelected. And, you know, anything that threatens that is a political threat to Trump. Yeah, and And his number one gauge of anything is uh, and uh, and of the health of the of the country is the performance of the stock market right that's the number one thing he points to all the time yeah i i find that strange too because the vast majority of americans including the vast majority of trump voters are not wall street uh sharpies yeah. who are following the ins and outs of the stock market and the, and the dow jones average every day uh, there are people who, who have to go out and work for a living and, and save their pennies up for one day when they might have to, uh, might be able to retire. But, you know, the pressure is economic pressure on the Bank of Canada today. They, they If they don't uh, follow, uh, then that's going to throw the balance off uh, between, you know, rates in Canada and rates in the U.S. with all kinds of unpredictable results. But, I mean, I think it does reflect... Uh, in yet another sort of organ of the government, that this this increasing concern about coronavirus, I think we we've only got 33 or 35 cons- confirmed cases in Canada, but um, that's just the start potentially. And uh, there's a full on full court press right across the whole government and in all the provinces to try to contain it and cope with it as best we can. So you know we're at the start of this coronavirus issue, Mark, not the end of it by far. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Jean Chrétien, who yesterday said there is no national unity crisis. Um, uh, he, he compared it to the October crisis. Uh, uh, he talked about some of the dynamics that people are pointing to now as evidence that we're facing another crisis. Uh, what do you think about Chrétien's comments? Well, you know, when you're 86 years old, you do have a sense of perspective, you know. I mean, he was a, a, a boy politician in the days of the uh, FLQ crisis, um, and 
he's lived through so many things. I mean, the you know the the two referendums in Quebec, uh, many Quebecois governments, the rise of the bloc in, in federal politics. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you could dispute that he's probably the greatest unity campaigner in our lifetimes. But at the same time, he also tends to take things a little cool. He's always been famous for telling everyone to keep their hats on and don't be nervous Nellies and all these types of, of things. Um, and I, I think I would be cautious about just tossing off uh, this issue. I mean, let's face it, the bloc is revived. Uh, it's an important voice in Parliament. Uh, this Western alienation only grows, and uh, and there is uh, you know even this uh, fair deal task force out in Alberta uh, is investigating um, you know and polling and and finding out information on the number of people in Alberta who favor some separation either as an option or as a a political uh, ploy. So I think Chrétien is casting it all as a political ploy, but I suspect a lot of people who are thinking of, of, of these types of issues are actually thinking of it in uh, realistic terms. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a dangerous road, and I think the Alberta government is only encouraging this disunity by, by playing with these types of games, and uh, it, it is dangerous for sure. All right, Dan, great to have your comments on all these topics this morning. Thank you. Have a great day. So, thanks for calling, man. That's Dan Legere author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald. We uh, respect their desire uh, to work on it internally first, uh, and because of that respect, uh, we will wait for them to do their work before we talk about the details of what's in it. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues, there are many questions and no answers in the agreement with Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs. The Star writes... What does the draft agreement mean when it speaks of implementing the rights and title of the Wet'suwet'en to their traditional territory? How will the Wet'suwet'en arrive at a workable solution to an issue they have wrestled with for years? And why should anyone believe B.C. Premier John Horgan when he insists that the coastal gas link pipeline will still be completed on schedule, even though the hereditary chiefs continue to oppose it? In the Toronto Sun, Anthony Fury argues... We should not forget First Nations success stories. Fury writes, There is a phenomenon of only discussing First Nations issues when it's bad news. In some respects, this is just the news industry doing what it does. People accomplishing their goals isn't what makes the news. What's newsworthy is unexpected developments, and those are often bad. This trend has the unfortunate consequence of setting the narrative that this is a demographic of people who only go from one bad situation to another. In the Globe and Mail, Gary Mason writes, The Buffalo Declaration is little more than a cynical, partisan screed. Mason writes, The entire thing reads like one of Michelle Rempel Garner's Twitter rants. But there is certainly one element of truth in the manuscript. Many people in Alberta are struggling. But Alberta is the victim of a phenomenon over which it has little control, climate change. The pressure on the provincial economy as a result of a warming planet and the global response to the crisis will be unceasing. This is not Justin Trudeau's fault, as much as this cabal of Tory MPs try to make it so. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The spotlight will be on Bank of Canada Governor Stephen Polaz today to see what he does with the bank's interest rate in light of the coronavirus. 
CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, yesterday in Washington, the Federal Reserve Bank, or the Fed, announced it was lowering its trend-setting central interest rate in the U.S. by 0.5 percent. That is the largest one-time drop in the rate in the U.S. since the worldwide economic recession of 2008. There is a lot of speculation that here in Canada, the head of the Bank of Canada, Stephen Polos, might have to do something similar. The thinking is that central banks in the world's leading economies are going to have to act together to try to stimulate the world economy faced with what is proving to be a more protracted and more severe downturn caused by the loss of production by the coronavirus. Economists at the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, yesterday added their voices to those calling for such a rate cut. So the question is whether Governor Polos will feel the need to announce such a rate reduction. Today, there is no scheduled press conference for the rate announcement, and observers point out the fact that it is very rare for the Bank of Canada to make a rate change without a full press conference. But the circumstances and the economic arguments in favour of a rate cut might just argue for a departure from Canadian tradition. Mark the rate announcement will be made by press release by the Bank of Canada at 10 a.m. Eastern Time today. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will visit La Compagnie Électrique Lyon in Saint-Jérôme, Quebec. In Ottawa, Minister of Diversity Bartish Chagger will speak with the media about the LGBTQ2 Community Capacity Fund. Minister of Families Ahmed Hussein will make an announcement in Barrie, Ontario. In Vancouver, Defence Minister Harjit Sajjan will speak about measures to reduce poverty and strengthen the economy. Middle-class Prosperity Minister Mona Fortier will host a roundtable discussion in Victoria, B.C. Also in Victoria, Economic Development Minister Melanie Jolie will speak at the B.C. Tourism Industry Conference. Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley will speak about the expansion of the Veterans Cemetery in Esquimalt, British Columbia. Environment Minister Jonathan Wilkinson will make an announcement in Whitehorse. National Revenue Minister Diane Le Boutelier will make an announcement in Saint-Anne-des-Monts, Quebec. And Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau will make an announcement at the Nova Scotia Agriculture Ministers' Conference in Halifax. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, March the 4th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.